welcome to yet another indie game preservation interview here at HitSave. My name is Jonas Rosslin. I'm the executive director here, and today I have with me. Hi, everyone. I'm Jack Breen, and I am making Gigasword. Awesome. And Jack, you are with a studio called Studio Hybrid. How many people do you have? It is actually just me. So Studio Hybrid became an official LLC about uh, two weeks or so before I launched the Kickstarter, um, because uh, that's the way that I like to handle things. I like to procrastinate. So I didn't actually procrastinate. I had to wait until that amount of time because I had to wait until the new year kicked over. So it was a huge kind of race for the finish line to get everything ready on time. But uh, yeah, Studio Hybrid is official now. Uh, but I I do everything for the project. So yeah, it's uh, pretty much just me over here. So being a sole developer for a Metroidvania game, uh, we'll dive into the, the Gigasword game here in a bit, which uh, I play the demo of here on Monday, and it was fantastic. I couldn't put it down. Uh, Thank you so was, much. It was super, super fun. Uh, I loved love the artwork. Uh, the, the music is stellar. And, uh, Thank you the yeah the puzzles are the right amount of hard puzzles for me so uh, i really mm -hmm. really enjoyed it so for anyone out there definitely go check out the demo that's on uh, itch and steam yes yep both of them yep awesome so before we dive into the the game a bit though i want to dive into um who you are so you're the sole developer of a game how did you become a developer um, so this is actually what I've always wanted to do. I think that, you know, I was always into like artwork and, and music and everything and obviously into video games as well. Um, so I have an older brother and I used to, you know, when I was growing up, I would always hang out with him and his friends, whatever. And, uh, when, when we were growing up, when I was probably like four or five years old, um, he, my, my brother and one of his friends went through a phase where they thought that they wanted to be game designers. And that was, they were probably like... 11 at the time or so because he's uh, six years older than me and I thought that that was so cool it was like the coolest thing that I had ever heard of um, and for them it was just like a childhood phase like they went through it and then they got over it whatever and they you know now they work in completely different fields um, they both still love video games but um, for me it just never that just never went away for me um, so throughout school you know, I, I was always the kid that would like draw on the back of worksheets and, and not like do my work or whatever. And school was always kind of tough for me because I had a tough time paying attention to whatever because I would just be drawing characters, coming up with stories, whatever. And uh, and uh, that was just how it always was. So, you know, artwork for me was something that has kind of always been there. Uh, music, uh, I started playing piano when I was pretty young and then I started like, you know, composing uh, when I was like an early teenager um my my so this is going to be very obscure but my start to composing was actually through a game called warioware diy it was like one of the warioware games that included like the option to make music within it so i uh yeah i i, I made music in that and like i had been writing stuff on piano like a little bit as a kid but um yeah, no, and then uh, my start, my introduction into chiptune music was when Shovel Knight was coming out, and Jake Kaufman released a video um, showcasing some of the Shovel Knight music, and it was in Famitracker, and I was like, oh man, like I, I have to try this software. This looks so cool and easy to use, whatever. And that was when I was like in high, I was probably like a junior or sophomore in high school. So um, I've been making chiptune music ever since then. And that was kind of when I really kicked off with like, you know, composing and actually making some stuff that that I thought sounded pretty decent. Um, 
So music and artwork have kind of always been there. And as a, when I was a kid, I, I, I never pictured myself as a programmer. I was like, oh, I'm going to want to be the person that draws the characters and writes the dialogue and whatever. Um, I also never really pictured myself as a solo developer because I didn't really know how the industry worked. So I just kind of figured that you went to college and then joined the studio. And that, that's just kind of how stuff worked out because I didn't I totally didn't understand it. Um, so I never pictured myself as a programmer, but when I was in high school, I, I wanted to make a game, and uh, and I was familiar with Game Maker, which is the engine that I use now. Um, I had heard of it and I had played with it a little bit, so I was like, oh well, I'll I'll use Game Maker, but um, I'm gonna have to learn how to program. And so at that point, it was just like a necessity. I was like, I'm gonna just have to see if I can do this, and uh, I didn't think that I would enjoy it, but I I did. I, I fell in love with it as soon as you know the first time that you make a character walk around by yourself it's like absolutely incredible so that added that into the mix and then you know you have those three things together art music programming and you just kind of start doing stuff and uh i just you know i that was where i started so in high school i was uh the first game i ever tried to make uh was a top-down zelda style game like very reminiscent of link to the past uh, obviously way out of my scope, so I totally, like, didn't even come close to finishing anything related to that. But it was, you know, it was a blast, and, uh, it gave me experience with coming up with, you know, mechanics and enemies and just getting the groundwork down. And, uh, from there, I started a bunch of different projects. Some of them, uh, were released, some of, most of them weren't. And, uh, Gigasword is kind of just the thing that I have finally landed on that has really taken off and i really feel like i'm ready to to make something like this now because this is the type of game that i've always been trying to make i've always wanted to make something with a story with boss fights with dungeons um with some sort of grand fantasy setting and uh now i'm just kind of finally ready to you know now that i have you know whatever it is eight years of experience doing it um it just has all really fallen into place so um and it's funny because when I started Gigasword, I I um I pictured it more just being like this smaller, you know, it, it wasn't it I, I've done a pretty good job of keeping my scope in check, but it, it was definitely a lot smaller of a project when it started. Like my plan was just like there wasn't gonna be much of a story, no dialogue, no cutscenes. It was like, oh, you're just in this tower, you gotta get to the top. Um so it has expanded quite a bit um since then. But uh, I I yeah just you know it it feels like a game that has almost like developed itself in a way. Not to say that it's been easy because it's been the furthest thing from easy, but that just that like you know everything that I've needed to do for it, um, I'm finally like ready to do it. So it's been a great feeling. So you you've been working on Gigasword for how long? Uh, I started this in 2019, so I was in school at the time, so 2019 I didn't do too much work on it, um, and then 2020, I, you know, school kind of ended, not only because of the pandemic, but also, because uh, later on that year I would end up dropping out, which is a different story, but, um, I also had an internship in 2020 with, uh, a group called Mass Digi, who, they're absolutely great, um, they're like a um, a local a local based uh, studio that kind of helps out local uh, Massachusetts indie de indie developers. Uh, so I did an internship with them. That was awesome, um, and uh, I learned a ton doing that. 
Um, so yeah, but anyway, so 2020, I didn't really work on the game too much because I was busy doing all that other stuff. So 2021 is really like that was the first year where I was just full time on the game. And I, that's the year that most of the amount of progress has taken place. That's awesome. So um, I want to dive into the game a bit. Um, the game is a Metroidvania, um, mm-hmm. but that only uh, that only describes a very small part of uh, the game itself. So yeah, uh, that that's just the the gameplay mechanic. But like, what what is the game about? Who who is this person that we see here? So Ezra is the main character. And by the way, I want to before I <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Before I dive into this, I want to mention that uh, I, I say Gigasword a lot of the time, and people always comment on that because it's like Gigasword, Gigasword. I picture it as a uh, tomato, tomato kind of thing. So uh, whatever people want to call it is totally fine. Um, so anyway, Ezra is the main character of the game, and the story is that there's this, um, you know, so it's like a fantasy setting, and there's this ancient tower called the Nestrium where at the top of this tower there's a crystal called Gnosis, and the crystal, you can kind of think of it as like the One Ring from Lord of the Rings, it's just like this really powerful thing, and it's supposed to grant prosperity to the people that have it in their possession. So, um, the crystal's at the top of this tower, it's been there for thousands of years, whatever. And uh, the the tower is watched over by this this race of of people called the Nocturne, and they're they're not really people; they're these big owl guys, um, guys and girls. And um, so they're the, they're like these eight foot tall owl humanoid beings, and uh, they watch over the crystal, and they they live in the tower, the Nestrium. And so they they've been there for thousands of years, watching over it, whatever. The on the outskirts of the tower are the kingdoms of the humans, and the humans lately have been struggling amongst themselves with war, with famine, disease, all all that stuff. So they want the crystal. They they've asked the Nocturne for access to Gnosis because they are in need of help. The issue is that the Nocturne have told them that they can't handle it, that it's too powerful for them, that they would lose control of it, that it's not safe. The humans believe that the Nocturne are being disingenuous and that they just want to keep the crystal for themselves and that they don't want to share its power. So that's created kind of a divide, a uh, you know, an animosity between the two of them. In reality, the Nocturne are being truthful. They 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 you know um, they're not they're not trying to be you know uh, selfish or anything like that. They are truly trying to protect the humans, but the humans don't see it that way. So that kind of struggle has been going on for like, you know, hundreds of years, whatever. And the the relationship between the humans and the Nocturne has only been getting worse and worse. Um, So that brings us to present day. So in human society, the Nocturne are pretty demonized and no one really ever sees them. No one interacts with them. They're very, you know, monk like they stay in the tower and they they, of course, they they uh, wake up at night and go to bed in the day because they're owls. So nobody really ever interacts with them. And so Ezra is a boy that has grown up in the city of Thornheart, which is just the main kind of human city that the game, you know, revolves around. Um, and he, um, so he, like everybody else, has grown up to believe that the Nocturne are evil. But Ezra hasn't had a normal childhood because he's grown up homeless. He was orphaned at a very young age. He, you know, lived with like aunts and uncles and then, you know, 
you know, either they died off because of famine or disease, and he's just bounced around to different households and foster homes and things like that, and grown up on the streets, had to steal food, had to kind of live the thief lifestyle for a long time. So um, he's always felt pretty ostracized from human life. And when Ezra is a young boy, he is in the forest trying to just find something to eat, apples or berries or whatever, and he gets attacked by wolves at night. So he is almost, you know, killed and eaten by these wolves, but then a nocturne comes and saves him, and that nocturne's name is Omari. So Ezra and Omari form this friendship, and Omari comes down because he's just trying to do the right thing, and Ezra doesn't know any better, and he, you know, he's just surprised that somebody came to his aid for the first time in his life. So they form this friendship, and, uh, and throughout the rest of Ezra's life, as he grows from a, you know, a child into, you know, a young adult, older teenager, um, they become best friends, and Omari is really his only friend, and it's the first person that he's had who acts as a guardian towards him. Um, so the story of Gigasword kicks off where, um, I'm trying to think of how much I should reveal because this is the part that's tough to talk about without spoiling things, obviously. Um, basically, the Nestrium is attacked by the humans. So the general of Thonehart is a guy named Verst. Uh, he's the main villain of the game, and he decides, hey, you know what? Things have gotten really bad for our community with all this famine and disease. We need to just storm the Nestrium and take Gnosis for ourselves because they're clearly never going to give it to us. So he's sort of justified in thinking that, but obviously what he's looking at now is a full-scale war. So um, Verist decides that he's going to attack the tower with the entire human army behind him and that they're going to storm the place uh, in the morning, which is right when the Nocturne go to sleep, and that they're going to storm the thing and take the crystal for themselves. So that ends up happening. Uh, and obviously Ezra wakes up and he sees that there's this battle, you know, so the, the, the town is pretty close to the tower and from the town he can see all the fires and things and that there's this huge storm that's brewing above the Nestrium, which there's a reason for that. Um, so he sees all this stuff going on. He runs down to the street and he asks somebody what's going on and they say, oh, well, the, the, the general just took his army over there and he said that, uh, he was going to go get the crystal for us and that everything was going to be fine. And now there's this terrible storm and there are earthquakes and weird stuff is happening. So obviously Ezra is worried about Omari. He's worried about his friend. So um, he rushes out to the tower. And that's actually where the demo picks up is that he's in the forest. He's on the outskirts, which is what that area is called. He's in the outskirts of the tower and he's running to the tower. So the demo doesn't explain anything. But what you see throughout it is that so there's rain, first of all, and the rain picks up as you go along, which is because there's this storm. There's a cataclysm going on, which is essentially what's happening. Um, and as you get closer to the tower, you're seeing the uh, the destroyed like. I don't know what those tower things are called, but like those archer towers that they would like push, you know, like you're seeing those with arrows stuck in them and uh, there's fire and the, all the statues and buildings are destroyed and stuff. And uh, so the storm is getting worse and worse. Um, and then as you get really close, you see there are swords stuck in the ground. There are actually other uh, giga swords stuck in the ground. Um, so, yeah, the demo has you running towards the Nestrium. And then the second part is that you're inside the Nestrium. What you're trying to do throughout Gigasword is get to the top of the tower, defeat General Verst, and save the crystal from uh, his possession. Because what's going on is that um, when he, he, he has gotten to the crystal, and him getting to it has resulted in the cataclysm because it's basically he wasn't able to control its power. 
So it, it resulted in all of his men being transformed into monsters, which are the enemies of the game. So all the enemies in the game are humans that are transformed. Um, and then so he's at the top. He's got this thing. It's totally going haywire. There's lightning everywhere. Um, obviously, he's going to transform, too, but you'll have to wait and see how that turns out. Um, and Ezra's just looking for Omari and any other survivors, and he's trying to you know make sure that everything is is, you know, all set with that. Uh, so the reason for the, the Gigasword itself is that that is uh, a Nocturne weapon, you know, because the Nocturne are so tall, they use bigger swords. So the, the Gigasword is like the uh, official weapon of the Nocturne. Um, so that's the reason that the sword is so big, and that's the reason why he's using it, because um, it's the only weapon that he has. Um, and as you play, you'll see how he, be, how he came in possession of the sword and uh, where Omari is, and what's going on, and uh, I think that sums up the beginning without spoiling anything. Um, it's funny because, you know, in my head it seems simple, and then when I tell the story out loud, I realize that there's no quick way to tell it, so I guess it kind of got pretty involved, but, uh, and it, which is another funny thing, because going into the, the creation of the game, I never... Um, a lot of that lore was going to be there, but I was never going to be so... It was never going to, like, be so upfront. It was just going to be, like, a background thing, and that if people asked, I could tell them. But as I was making the game, people were like, oh, well, what's the story? Who's the character? What's, like, I want the lore, the lore. And I was like, wow, I didn't think that anybody would care about that stuff. I thought that all they cared about was gameplay. So uh, I dove into the story, and, and people have ended up really taking to it. And it's, you know, for some people, that's their favorite part, which is amazing. So. I think that should give us a good starting point for in terms of exposition, and you can certainly ask any more questions about uh, the, the about that stuff if, there, if there's stuff that I left out or that's unclear. <laughs> no, th this is wonderful. Uh, the um, so it, it kind of reminds me of the old NES games where mm -hmm. you push start and you you, you start it. You had no yeah. idea about the backstory, and you're like, yeah, of course I'm going to bash monsters. But then you read the manuals, and you're like, oh, there's a whole backstory here, and this is who the character is, and this is why yeah. we're fighting these monsters. Um, that was always one of the coolest feelings, was like, you get attached to a game before you know what's going on, and then mm -hmm. when you learn about it, that's what makes it so much more impactful. Yeah, I was... Uh, uh, I saw the, uh, the trailer a couple of weeks ago, and I... I said, this is a game uh, that I need to play. Um, <laughs> this is absolutely uh, right up my alley. The, uh, the As I said before, the, the music is fantastic. I love the chiptune music. You're doing a fantastic job there. Uh, Thank the, you. The, the artwork is great. Uh, it really fits uh, with the theme and everything. And again, I'm just amazed that you, a single developer, are able to do all of these things. Uh, I'm, I'm a little jealous. Uh, it, it's really, really cool to to try it out and um, uh, yeah, just experiencing the the game. It it really feels like a, a a pretty complete game. The demo itself is a very like complete game in itself, and um, yeah, ends up we 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 showed one of the images here with uh, Sloan the Executioner, um, mm -hmm. so going up against the uh, the first really really uh, hard boss, and it was. A really good feeling to to go through um, the demo. Um, we can see here this is the um, uh, the the save point, but also a, a way for you to upgrade your sword, which 
I did, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I've seen a few images of more upgrades coming as well. So I'm really, really excited to see uh, what those are. And uh, also more features like, um, uh, what was it, uh, swinging and... Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's, you know, so the upgrades that you can get from the save point are all um, optional. You don't need them to progress. They're just ways to improve your combat abilities and other things. Um, but then, of course, in in Metroidvania fashion, you will get mandatory, you know, items or abilities that you'll need to progress to new areas. Uh, so one of the first ones that you get, well, so technically the Emerald Gemstone is one of those, you know, and it's kind of like a simple one, but it's just a, it's just a new way to access new doors. Um, but one of the first major ones that you get is the charge attack, which can be used to break certain walls. And there's actually a wall in the demo that you might have seen that's like this cracked sort of uh, rocky pillar. And that's one of the ones that you'll be able to come back to and break, which leads to a new area. Um... So yeah, it'll definitely have like the Metroidvania aspect of getting new abilities. Um, but yeah, the, comp, the 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 upgrade stuff in terms of just getting new attacks and stuff, um, that was a later idea that came in. I never planned on doing that, but um, and that's such a long story. I basically like, I brought the game to PAX East in 2020. That was one of the first places that I showed the game off live. And someone comes up to me and they're playing and uh, he's like, you know, there's no reason to fight the enemies. And I was like, all right, like if you don't want to fight them, like you don't have to, you know, like whatever, you can play it however you want. I don't care. But uh, I, I was thinking about it because it kind of bothered me. And I was like, well, I guess he's right. Like you don't really have to stop and fight any of these guys. And that, you know, is not ideal. So I started thinking about, you know, what would make you want to fight, right? So in, in you know, in most games, or especially in Dark Souls, which is what I, you know, just, you know, not, not it, it is one of my uh, inspirations for this, but it's not one of my main ones. It, it has ended up becoming one of my main sources of inspiration for this. But, uh, you know, I was like, you know, so you get souls or whatever, or in Zelda, you get rupees. Like, there, you always get some sort of currency from enemies in, in these kinds of games. So I knew that I needed something like that. So I was like, okay, well, if you're getting currency, what would you use that for? Because I, I didn't really picture there being like a shop or anything like that. So I came up with the upgrade system, which was basically just, you know, it's it works like souls and dark souls. It's, you know, you kill enemies, you get ore, but if you die, you drop all of it. And you got to run back and get it before it's gone. Um, so, yeah, the first few upgrades that I came up with were like different attacks. And then as you move down the skill tree, it kind of gets a bit more unique. Um, I'm really excited for people to find out what those things are, and I actually have more ideas that I'm going to add. In the in the demo, I think you can see it's like nine, I think. Nine skills are on there, but I'm going to add a third branch that runs down the middle because um, I came up, I ended up coming up with more stuff like during this campaign that I knew I needed to add. Um, some, some people that have played the demo have given me some really good ideas as well for uh, abilities. So, um... Yeah, the upgrade sword system will really add like a, a new level to the game and hopefully add some more replayability. And uh, I know that people just love stuff like that. And especially for all like the Hollow Knight style players that are coming to this and um, and all the Dark Souls fans like, you know, it's right up their alley. Um, we have a picture up here of Sloan the Executioner. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I really liked about the uh, the fighting mechanic is the dodge system. Mm-hmm. Um, where you roll past the enemy, so you can, uh, uh, or can roll past the enemy, so you can t- attack them from behind. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very rewarding, and it feels like you're you're doing sneak attacks consistently, sneak attacks. Um, yeah, it's it's really really good. And um, one other me- uh, mechanic that I thought was uh, pretty cool was that the enemy the enemies don't hurt you until they attack. <laughs> yeah, I did that for my older brother because that was that's one of his gaming pet peeves. He we would ever since we for as long as my whole life. Uh, Every time that we play a game and he runs into an enemy and it hurts him, he always says that he wishes that he he thinks that that's stupid and that that shouldn't happen in games. So I, I basically just did that for him. <laughs> I, I think, but I think it, I think it works well in this because um, it has ended up kind of becoming. I really do hesitate to call this a Souls like because it's. I don't know if it is, but it does use a lot of Dark Souls mechanics, and a lot of that happened subconsciously just because of how much I love those games. Um, but I think it does work well in this because you you can very often use it to your advantage. And you know Ezra is pretty slow. Like he's 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 weighty. He's you know deliberate, right? So like you're not always able to get out of the way of stuff or or maneuver as quickly as another you know protagonist might be able to. So um, I think you know any opportunity that I could give the player to avoid taking damage at inopportune moments was you know the right call so um yeah you you said that ezra is a bit slow and that's because of the sword uh, mm. the sword weighs him down um yeah you, you can see here the image where he actually leaves the sword behind which is very unusual uh, that you would go unarmed in a game <laughs> full of monsters so can you tell us about a bit about um uh, the choice here, because you you have a big sword, you're lugging it around, and as you said, you have to be very deliberate with your attacks because they are slow, um, because it's a heavy sword. Um, so, and, and then you build out this whole mechanic around, you actually leave the sword behind to do puzzles. Mm-hmm. So I've been joking lately about how the entire creation of this game is that, that I owe all the credit to one of my friends. Um, so one of my best friends, Tristan, we went to college together um, one time in like 2016, and it could have even been 2015. Um, back when we were in school, he thought that he wanted to be an indie developer as well. And now he's moved. He realizes that he doesn't want to do that for multiple reasons due to the programming and the stress and whatever. Uh, so now he's actually doing 3D modeling and he's doing amazingly. Um, but back when he was still coming up, and he actually does still come up with great game ideas all the time, but back when he thought that he wanted to pursue them on his own, um, we were in his dorm one day, and he was like, yeah, I want to make a platformer with a buster sword. And uh, that was all he said. I don't think he said anything more than that. He was like, yeah, it'd be cool to make a platformer where you have a huge sword. And so I just never let it go. I was like, yeah, how would that work? And I thought of this mechanic the same day. Like, and so the, I drew a picture, and I should actually send this to you because I, I can probably still find it somewhere. But I drew a picture of like a stick figure with a sword, and there was a platform. And on top of the platform, there's a, a lever. And then below the platform is, a, is like a gate. And you're trying to open the gate. So like i drew him not being able to reach the the lever so then you stick the sword in the ground and then you can jump higher and reach the lever when you pull the lever the gate opens and this like monster thing 
uh, I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan, but it was like this Rancor looking thing comes out and then he's down there on the floor like where your sword is still in the ground. So then the challenge is like, well, now you have to go down there and fight this thing. But like your sword is like he's like right there with it. And so you're going to have to like pull him away from it or like dodge his stuff to get it. And that's still something that I would like to like put in the game somewhere. As a nod to that, I think that would be a cool way to start a boss fight or to start a mini boss fight or something. Um, so I drew that picture, and that's just where the mechanic came from. Was just you can jump higher without it, but it causes you issues when you don't have it. Obviously, so um, yeah, like I said, that was like 2016, and so I drew that, and I made like a blocked out prototype in Game Maker where literally like the characters were just squares. And um, so here's a funny thing. Originally, you could also stick the sword in the walls and in the ceilings. Mm -hmm. So you could stick it in the wall. To use it as like a platform to stand on but that just didn't end up working out because like you you could just jump that high anyway it was it was just gonna be a weird thing uh and then for the ceiling the reason i scrapped that was because there was really only one mechanic for that and it was that i drew this picture of him in this like really tight enclosed hallway where the floor would like fall out and uh, so every and like you would have to run across it and the floor would keep falling out on like a timer. So you would have to stick it in the ceiling to like hang from it, like while the floor was gone until the floor came back and then you stop and keep running. And like that was a cool idea, but that was like the only puzzle re like related to that mechanic that I could come up with. So I kind of scrapped that, too. Um, but yeah, so in 2019. I was working on a procedurally generated top-down engine because I love procedural generation and I really wanted to make something like Nuclear Throne or Enter the Gungeon. And I, I just like, it was out of my skill zone at the time. I just couldn't figure it out. I was trying so hard. And so finally I threw my hands up and I was like, I need to work on something I can finish. Like I need to choose something that I have the capacity to actually make at this point because like I was so tired of abandoning projects I just wanted to make something that I could show to people and say hey this is something that is actually going to come out and so I went back to Gigasword and I was like well that idea seems pretty simple like I think that I could manage that and then the rest is history I just I made the prototype it went great I, I added some of the artwork I took it to the first few events I took it to PAX East and uh you know, it's it's been incredible. Honestly, it really has. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm super looking forward to to play more of this. Um, I want to talk a little about the community that you're building up around this as well. You have a Discord where you're very uh, easygoing and helping people with questions around not just the game itself, but also um, game development. Yeah, so my background with um, in terms of teaching game design is that I have had a YouTube channel for the past few years where I play indie games and kind of break down their design uh, in these sort of video essay style uh, episodes. Um, so I've been doing that, I think, since 20. I always forget when the channel started. I think it started in 2018. Um, and my goal with the channel was a few different things. You know, I obviously wanted to teach people about game design. But, you know, there are so many, <clears throat> so many channels that focus on all the big triple A's, right? Like you can find video essays about Zelda and Dark Souls and, you know, whatever, anywhere that you want. But so, you know, there are so many smaller developers that, you know, 
I would scroll through itch.io and, and find these games that were great. Like, you know, they weren't huge, um, but they were really good for the size that they were at. And especially because they, most of them were one man projects. And I was like, you know, I want to give these guys more attention because, you know, as a solo developer, I know how much it means to me when somebody finds my game and plays it. You know, it's it's I remember the first time that somebody made a YouTube video about my my first project, which was well, not my first project, but my first released game was a game called Jawbreaker, which was like, a, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's um it's on itch.io. It's free. It's basically just like an arcade fighter. And uh I remember the first time somebody made a YouTube video about that, and I, it was an incredible feeling. I was like, I can't believe that somebody found this and played it. And so I wanted to be that for other people, you know, for, uh, for people that are just starting out that are making these things that deserve to be seen. So the, the channel Hybrid Plays has kind of been like a hidden gem sort of video essay, you know, um, project where I just find these games that, you know, uh, that I think deserve more attention and that I think have done really special things within their design and just try to break that stuff down and extrapolate, you know, game development lessons from them. And um, I'm hoping that it can evolve into something where, you know, uh, I can grow in popularity so that when I feature these games that it will actually, you know, bring in a significant amount of attention to those developers so that I can kind of use that platform as like a a springboard for these people to to launch their careers off of because you know let's say that you know i make something like jawbreaker and like it's just on itch it's free nobody sees it like whatever but then you have like you know jacksepticeye play it or whatever like obviously you're gonna shoot through the roof and so that's kind of my goal with youtube is you know not to make a bunch of money like i mean that would be great too so that i can keep doing it but just so that like anytime i make a video even if it's about something that nobody's ever heard of all of a sudden that creator goes from like nobody's ever heard of them to like just like famous overnight or whatever like it'd be so cool to be able to do that for people um I, so, I love that. I love that mindset. Uh, not just teaching people about games, but also promoting others. Uh, I think that's mm -hmm. a that's a really, really great effort. Well, yeah, so one of my first episodes was about a game called Saving Princess, and that is a small scale Metroidvania uh, made by a guy named Jake Pavone. And uh, so I did the same thing as I normally did. I just I reached out to him and I was like, hey, I found your game and I'm going to make a video about it. And I forget if he responded. Um, most people don't respond. Just I, I don't know what they they're, they're busy or maybe they don't see it, whatever. Um, so but I messaged him and then I made the video and like his game was great. It was like, you know, Mega Man style combat and like just really good, really good music, uh, really good animations, level design, like everything. You know, it was a small you could probably beat it in like three hours, but it was really cool. So I made the video and that video ended up taking off like it got, you know, a few more thousand views than most of my content. Um, but so Jake reached out to me when the when the video came out and he was like, yo, like this means so much. Like I was crying because like it means so much that somebody enjoyed this and like broke down the design and like everything that you said was so like well put and whatever. So that like meant so much to me that somebody would get that experience out of out of it and he and i are actually great friends now like we talk all the time he's making more games he's a huge fan of giga sword um and so like that is like the best case scenario it's like not only did you make a really cool video but you made somebody's day and you made a new friend like what more could you ask for 
Um, so like experiences like that are a huge reason as to why I do the channel. And um, yeah, in terms of teaching people about game development, like it started off as me just kind of um, trying to, you know, the way that I learn about development is just I look at a game and I think, you know, why do I enjoy this so much? Or I look at something that I thought that I would enjoy that I that I didn't. And I think, you know, what's making me not enjoy this? And it comes down to so many minute differences between, you know, it could just literally just like the lack of screen shake could 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 be the, the one deciding factor in like why you enjoy enter the gungeon over something else that doesn't have that right like and so i i became aware of all those different nuances that that impact the way that we enjoy games and i tried to just touch upon that and um yeah i mean you know i didn't really all you know i didn't really i watched a lot of game makers toolkit that channel which that you know turned me on to a lot of different like mechanics and and uh ideas about development but um most of it has just come from observation um and i joke i joke all the time that like i'm just making stuff up as i go along because uh <laughs> it's like i'll just i'll just talk about something in a video and i'll be like look i don't know if there's any like science behind any of this but like this mechanic feels great and this is why i think so and i think you should do the same thing and uh people have taken to it really well and you know like i said to you earlier like people come to me with questions and I still feel like the beginner, but people are coming to me like, how did you do this? Or what, what would you do for this? And I'm like, it's just funny to be in that position. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have, you have a great demo out, you have a Kickstarter, you, you have a community. Um, of course people will look up to you. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it is a fantastic game. I, I really, really enjoy it. Uh, and I love the work that you're doing here, uh, promoting others and, and looking at others' work and explaining how, uh, explaining their work. Uh, I think it's uh, it's fantastic. The um, uh, the screen shake. Uh, I I was actually looking for it in this game, and I was super super happy to to see that it does have screen shake. Yeah, uh, I couldn't possibly leave it out with such a big sword. <laughs> yeah, it's like because you you really feel it when when you hit something. You're like, oh yeah, that it, it feels good. Um, yeah, and it's it's really important um, for it, it gives the the sword like substance uh you, yeah. you can really feel that you're you're hitting something with a heavy object so i i really like that and, and i don't think there is a way of turning it off is there uh not currently somebody actually mentioned that because of uh you know they're like oh that could like make some people like like motion sickness or whatever so i might add that option but um yeah, I, I am definitely a huge uh, supporter of all things screen shake and all things game juice. So uh, yeah. that was like one of the first things that I made sure I got down was even before I did any level design or enemy design. I was like, I just want this to feel good before I do anything else. So, uh, yeah, the, the just swinging the sword in general was a huge focus going into the prototype. And uh yeah, luckily that's something that that a lot of people uh, notice when they play is like, oh, it feels so good to swing it around and everything, and that, so I'm really glad that that came across. So that whole feeling of uh, the the screen shake and the, the the heavy sword reminds me a bit of the latest Streets of Rage game, um, where you uh, when you punch someone, you you get it. It feels 
uh, it, mm. you get that feeling really and, and i love that uh it really feels that you're uh, like you're punching someone well not physically in your hand but when you're playing the game um right so i really like that it's it's really neat uh i want to dive in to a few uh prototype things uh, that you wanted to share as well so yep. let me uh pull those up here we got some prototype images of ezra first of all mm -hmm. yeah this was like the first main piece of well it wasn't the first time i drew him but uh it was the the best first time that i drew him um i uh I had to really like push my art skills for this project because, uh, you know, like I said, I've been drawing my whole life, but um, for the past few years, I've focused on pixel art and my, you know, traditional drawing skills have kind of, you know, fallen by the wayside a bit. So I had to come back to that. And like, you know, anatomy was something that I always struggled with and proportions and stuff like that. So I've been really pushing those skills to try to get them to a place where, you know, it, it uh, looked good enough. And you might have it in here. I included it in the uh, in that second folder that I just sent you this morning. Um, there is a ver so the poster that is on the uh, on the canvas prints. Yeah, this is the picture I'm talking about. So this is an early version of that same poster that I have now, where there's like the tower and the fire and stuff. And so I drew this. So I've got a great story about this. So I drew this going into the reveal of the game. So the reveal of Gigasword was I took the game to an event that took place at Becker College, which was also hosted by that Mass Digi organization that I mentioned before. This event is called um, the Mass Digi Game Challenge. And what you do is it's a two day event. You show up, you show your game, you show a demo you, and uh, you have like your own table and judges will walk around and uh, there are three rounds of judging. You basically just kind of pitch your game, show them what's going on with it, let them play the demo. And uh, they choose a few of the best games to make it to the second round. So then you come back in the morning, you do the second round. And the second round is that you give a, a formal pitch in front of judges, like on like a screen. So usually you make like a PowerPoint presentation and you give a pitch not only about the game itself, but about your plan your business plan and your marketing plan for the project. And that's actually a majority of what they judge the, the winning game off of is not, not only how good the game looks, but how, how good of a, you know, of a developer you are in terms of like your, your marketing plan and your business strategy. Um, so anyway, that's a little bit about that competition. So I did that. That was where I revealed Gigasword to the, to the public, essentially, which it's not a very big event, but that was my first time taking it out and showing it to anybody other than my close friends. Um, so I made this poster and I brought it, I printed it out and I brought it to the thing and I had it set up at my table. At the time, this was like the best thing I had ever drawn. I worked on it for three weeks which is incredible because now if I was going to redraw this, it would probably take me like two or three days. So I worked on it forever. I, you know, spent all this time on it, thought it looked amazing. I show up and one of the first judges who comes by, he goes, this art sucks. This looks like high school anime art. That's exactly what he said. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, so it was like someone was ripping my heart out. Nobody had ever been that harsh about my artwork before. That's I was brutal. Like, oh, I was blown away. I like, and I hadn't even started the pitch yet. I, they like just walked up and said that before I even told them about what the game was about. So you know, looking back on it, it's a riot. But um, I was so crushed. I was like, oh my god, like this is the best thing I can draw. What am I supposed to do? 
Um, so that was like my like you know Rocky Balboa moment where I had to go back to the draw, to, literally to the drawing board, and uh, I was like, I'm gonna get better, and I'm gonna show I'm gonna show this guy that I can that I can do this. Um, so I you know I worked on my color theory, my shading, you know everything. And if you now of course if you look at the the comparison between this and the new poster, which is probably somewhere in the press kit as well. Um, you know, the, the difference is pretty clear. I, I don't know if it's, you know, perfect or as good as it can get, but it's certainly a, a, a huge improvement. And uh, that's one of the things that I've had to work the hardest on throughout development is like, you know, I do everything on my own. So most people have somebody else to do their posters or their promotional artwork. But I'm that guy, you know, too, at the same time as I'm doing everything else. So I was like, I need to be able to make this and handle it and i need to be good enough for it to catch people's eye and and be what it needs to be um but yeah that's a wicked funny story it was so you know at the time i was i was angry at first i was like how could somebody okay. say that to me but i'm so thankful that he said that to me because i never would have pushed myself to become a better artist if he hadn't um so when it comes to criticism like that it's kind of just you know it's like can you can you handle it and can you get out of it what you need to to make yourself better uh so i i did what i could to 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 to, to do that i guess yeah it's very harsh very very harsh but you you yeah. um you, you took it by the horns and and made it into something good um so that that's <laughs> that's an amazing story <laughs> i'm i'm sorry that that you had to experience that but uh it looks like it turned out well in the end yeah, yeah. All things considered, I think that it was what I needed. So I'm glad. Yeah. Uh, let me see here. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to talk a bit about this one as well. So what what are we looking at here? We see different characters and uh, photograph and the, the uh, old poster as well. Yeah. So this is another interesting story. So this picture was actually drawn by my friend Tristan, who I mentioned before, um, the one that like came up with the idea for the game. Um, this happened a few years later, and uh, it was when I was, you know, because when I first came up with the idea for the game, I hadn't, you know, drawn any of the characters or come up with their designs or anything. And character design was another thing that I struggled with. Like all of my every time that I would make up characters, they kind of all just ended up looking like each other, like they all just look the same, whatever. Um, so designing Ezra was my first time, like really doubling down and being like, all right, I need to make something that looks good, something that's simple, something that's easy for people to grasp, um, and something that doesn't look like everything else that I've been drawing for my whole life. Um, so I looked at a lot of references of like Fire Emblem characters and Zelda characters and everything. Um, so this picture is just taken from a, a, a night that Tristan and I were talking and he just wanted to take his own stab at the characters. And uh, so he drew Ezra and Verst in his own styles. And uh, he's like I said before, he's an artist like I am. And uh, so I always just liked these renditions of the characters. I thought they came out really cool in this picture. So I wanted to include it. And uh, yeah, his sketches of them gave me some good ideas for uh, Ezra was pretty much already designed at this point, but Verst. I uh, struggled a lot with coming up for the ideas for his armor. Um, and so a lot of the final design elements I ended up taking from this sketch. So this is really cool. Yeah. Uh, let me see what else we got here. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, speaking of the, the character designs and the, um, the pixel art for it, um, 
I was very surprised to see the different expressions that Ezra has. They um there was one one instance uh where he's surprised. Um Oh yeah, and, when the bridge falls. Yeah, and um opens his eyes and it looks like a cartoon character. I was not expecting that. Yeah. Um yeah, that's just me having fun. I just kind of like to show that wherever I can. He's also like when he's pushing the heavy blocks or he's when he's cranking the thing, he's like squinting and trying. Um it just gives him more life and it's it's you know it's always been very important to me that people are able to relate to him and feel like he's a person that they would want to be friends with or you know that they that, that he's believable i guess so uh yeah it's i just tried to pack as much expression into him as i could and uh there are multiple uh death animations as well yeah so well yeah so like there's the normal death animation uh, and then when he is killed in the air, he'll like, like the sword flies out of his hand. That was really fun to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, that was also causing a huge glitch when I first released this version of the demo. Um, it was like the day after the Kickstarter, somebody messaged me and they were like, oh, hey, if you die in the air, uh, your chest doesn't give you your ore back. And I was like, that's really bad. I'll go fix that. So that's fixed now. But that's just a funny kind of story about that. Um, something I wanted to mention about this screenshot that you have here, that background is just totally gone from the game now. And I don't know if I'm going to even end up using it, which is just funny how that works. Cause like, I remember I spent a whole like two days making that thing and it came out pretty cool, but it just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit in the outskirts anymore. And I don't know if it'll fit in any of the other areas because all the other areas are pretty much indoor. So it's just funny how that works. It's like you work on something for two days and then like eight months down the road, you're like, yeah, I'm probably not going to even end up putting that in. Because um, it's a, it's but a yeah. beautiful waterfall scene. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. I do like how it came out. Um, yeah, this is the room. This was the original mini boss room, which now in the final demo, you end up kind of fighting like a barrage of enemies, which is how it was always meant to be. But this is how it looked in the first version of the demo. Uh, and this was back when the outskirts the the outskirts shamelessly looked exactly like the first shovel knight level like it was like exactly the same i didn't really mean to do that it was more of a subconscious inspiration but it had like you know the bright blue sky and the waterfalls and stuff and somebody pointed it out and i was like oh i'm gonna have to change this like this is so like just exactly the same um but I, I kind of always wanted it to be more like stormier anyway because of the cataclysm and everything. So uh, I ended up changing it so that it's always raining and then the rain picks up. And, and uh, you know, it's also supposed to be like a battlefield. So that's kind of why I ended up changing those backgrounds. But in the early versions of the demo, you can see it's pretty much just the planes of passage from Shovel Knight. It's just waterfalls and green grass and blue skies. And it was a fun look. But uh, yeah, ended up having to forego that. So. That's awesome. Uh, let's see here. Yeah. Uh, so we've got some pixel art and the original art. Yeah. So this was when I was first sort of uh, taking a crack at making the dialogue portraits, which uh, some of them are done. Uh, that's something that I that's the, a majority of the work that I have left to do on the game is a lot of the dialogue based stuff and a lot of the cutscenes. Um but yeah, it's it's funny because uh, it's tough to pack like facial features into so few pixels. Uh, so that was something that I kind of had to struggle with a bit. Um, 
but I do like the way that, that this uh, sprite of him came out and uh, I'm excited to do more because he does, you know, he is going to show a lot of different emotions throughout the game and uh, it'll be really cool for people to be able to connect with him in that way. What, what tools are you using when, when creating your artwork? Um, I use uh, a sprite for my pixel art. I use uh, clip studio paint for like the digital traditional art. Um, I think that's pretty much it. You know, I use I use all the Adobe stuff. I use Illustrator and uh, uh, a little bit of Photoshop when I need to. But, you know, yeah, a sprite is my main tool. I recommend it for anybody that likes pixel art. It's awesome. Uh, it's inexpensive. You know, it's great. Awesome. Uh, yeah, here's another uh, early screenshot from you can see that's how the trees used to look. They were pretty low detail. So I had to up my tree game going into the new demo. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's. Uh, I, I did always like that background, though, that the clouds came out pretty cool. But uh, I don't know if there's going to be any like blue skies in Gigasword now because it's like a cataclysm throughout the whole game. So it's there's actually like this perpetual thunderstorm going on the whole time. Um, maybe, and maybe as you. Maybe at the end. Yeah, yeah. Once the storm clears and the credits roll, I think it would be nice to have like the classic sunset shot of everything's like nice and back to normal. Awesome. Uh, let's see. I think we've got some uh, prototype gifts here as well. So here you can see uh, some of the puzzle elements. Uh, I um, when I first started playing the demo. Uh, I was looking for a uh, a double jump or a wall jump mechanic, uh, but I think you saw the the wall jump here uh, really neatly uh, with having ledges and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. See, it's like it, it was a difficult you know thing to figure out because the whole the whole kind of point of this game is that the biggest challenge is that you, there are places that you can't jump to or get to. Um, and so I knew that if you could just wall jump anywhere that you wanted, that that would kind of break that. Even if you, even if the, you know, you still couldn't do it with the sword, whatever, like, you know, limiting Ezra's mobility is the biggest theme throughout the game. So basically with the ledges, that is a way for me to limit where you can wall jump. And, uh, and it also just kind of adds, you know, um, yeah, it's basically just that it's just, you know, limiting the movement and, uh, choosing where you can get up higher and where you can't uh this gif is actually from so there's a puzzle i'm trying to think of which one it is it's it's in the demo now it's the first puzzle that that introduces the pressure plate doors uh this was the early version of that puzzle uh this is the one that was in the previous demo uh, the reason that I changed the whole room around was not only because I wanted to redecorate it with the new backgrounds and stuff, but it was also possible to soft lock the whole game in this room. Um, if you climbed up to the top and then you raised the platform up and then went back down without like kicking the ladder down, um, you just wouldn't be able to get back up. And now the elevator would be stuck at the top. It was this big mess. So uh, I had to redesign the puzzle entirely so that people couldn't get stuck in the middle of it anymore. So that's kind of funny. That, that has to be a, a major, major thing that you need to think about when you design rooms that you can't get soft locked. Because I, I definitely thought I was uh, soft locked a few times before I figured out mm -hmm. no I'm not I'm I'm just I'm not finding the right exit or uh, I'm not doing the right thing um but it, yeah uh, I'm 
I would imagine that's pretty hard because you want to make things challenging, but you also want to make sure that people don't get locked out. Yeah, it's definitely one of the hardest parts of making this game is not only coming up with the puzzles, but making sure that there aren't going to be ways for people to break them and uh, and obviously yeah, lock themselves. Because that's the thing is like, you know, his his movement is so limited when he's holding the sword that I've got to make sure that people can't get themselves into situations where they go down a hole or something and then they're stuck down there. Um, Every time that I design one of these like crankshaft like things, like one of the elevator sections, um, I put ledge, I put ledges in the as you're seeing here. And in this situation, it still didn't work out because just of the way that the room was set up, um, it was still possible to get soft locked. But um, every time that I make one of those elevators, I put ledges on the inside of it in case, because you can crank the platform up to any height, you know, it doesn't like snap to different heights. Uh, so like if you've got a shaft and then you crank the thing up like halfway and then you jump down there holding the sword, now you're just at the midpoint of an elevator shaft and there's no way to get out. So I always put those things in there so that people can put the sword down, jump out, and then raise it up the rest of the way. Um, or I'll leave like space on the side so that you can just like, you know, jump down uh, off the platform and keep doing stuff. Um, and there are other situations I had to make um, with the push blocks. I had to make this object. There's like, in every room that has push blocks, there's actually an invisible block on each door that keeps you from pushing the block out of the room. Or actually, you, you couldn't push it out of the room, but you could push it in front of the door and then you wouldn't have been able to, to leave. Or if you could leave when you walked back in, he would have like been clipped inside the block. So I had to make these things that would like uh, block you from pushing it like out of the room, whatever, because I was like, I know somebody's going to try to do that to break it, whatever. Um, so there's a lot of thought that goes into making sure that everything works the way it's supposed to. And making the puzzles is definitely like one of the hardest things. Like it's so tough, not only coming up with puzzles, but just making sure that they work the way that you want them to. Yeah, this is, um, the um some of the artwork that we've seen as well um that's in the 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 game i was really amazed i think it's one of the the first uh really big rooms where you have one of the the uh, owl statues and you have a lot of parallax scrolling uh in the background which really shows you like the how how big this room is uh i was really amazed by by that uh, that effect uh, it really showed like the the immenseness of the the whole tower and everything um, in such a just a super simple way when you look at it. But I imagine that was kind of hard to think uh, think up and and implement. Yeah, some of the some of the parallax backgrounds are easier than others. Um, it's actually really tough to like make a so the first big room that you walk into where there's the statue. Um, it's actually really tough to like align the backgrounds so that they meet at the center because for most rooms it doesn't there there isn't really a center. It's just different layers that move, and so you don't have to worry about it. But um, when you're making a room that has like a point that's supposed to be the center point, like all those different layers are different sizes. And then you have to like 
this it's probably just me like not figuring it out yet like there's probably an easy way to do it that i'm just still learning about but um i remember it was really tough to make that room because i would uh set the backgrounds to draw at a certain spot i would run the game i would run through that room i'd be like all right this needs to move over to the left a little bit go back in program it go back i'm like i did it wrong it's too far to the right go back like i worked on that for like a whole day just just making that look like it was correct um so yeah in some cases it's tough but um yeah in most cases it, it comes out pretty easily and it's just about uh making sure that everything uh looks natural like there are still some spots there's a, one spot in particular in the monastery where there's like that green library background and it shows that there are stairs in the background, but I still think that those stairs look too big. Like they look like they are the size that they would be if they were like on the same plane as you. So I want to go back in and make them smaller so that they look like they're as far away as they're supposed to. Um, so yeah, it kind of just takes a lot of trial and error at some at some times. But uh, you know, overall, yeah, the parallax scrolling is one of the things that I get the most compliments about. People are just are really into it. It looks amazing. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah. And I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that the scope of the tower comes across because it is supposed to be this huge, gargantuan building. And uh, so it's, um, you know, it's cool that it uh, feels that way. With this, um, this gift here that we're showing, uh, Ezra is jumping around. He's jumping off um, ladders and jumping off platforms. And one thing that I notice here that's missing from from this view compared to the, the demo right now are the little uh, little jump um, not animations but uh, like puffs of, of not smoke but yeah yeah, yeah there's like some dust around him now thank you thank you yes yeah, yeah. dust uh, um, it, it really gives the the uh, the illusion that he's really jumping and um, the sword touches the ground and, and uh, kicks up dust. That was something that people asked me for for a long time. They were like, can you make a dust trail or a spark trail that the sword leaves? And I was like, that's not going to add anything. That's like, why would I do that? And then but as time went on, I was like, yeah, no, that would be really cool. I should do that. And uh, and yeah, no, I'm glad that I did, because it does make him feel like he's really standing there and that he's really running around. Um, and when you look at games like um, Celeste is the first game that comes to mind. That game has so many like little visual effects that happen around the characters that like you don't notice it when you're playing, but it just adds so much um, like physicality to the characters in the world. Um, another thing I want to mention about this gift that you're showing now is that the, those enemies, that's what they used to look like in the first demo. Now they're kind of like this like mass of tentacles. And uh, I'm really happy with the way that they look now, but they used to just be these silly looking caterpillar things and uh, they were very boring. So I'm glad that I took the time to, to change it. Reminds me of uh, some of the first enemies in the first Mega Man game. Yeah, 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 definitely. I actually something I wanted to bring up earlier, which I forget if I mentioned this to you at uh, Boston Fig. But um, Blaster Master on the NES, did you ever play that? Yes. That's So that's another one of my big inspirations, not only in level design and enemy design, but also because the main mechanic is similar. Because in that game, you had to leave your tank behind and you were much you know weaker when you did so. Um, but it was kind of like a, a 
that that was like the management that you had to do in that game was like oh there are areas that i'm not gonna be able to drive the tank into and i'm gonna have to go off on my own so uh that's always been another big influence on on gigasword um one thing that i noticed um playing the demo was this part here that we're looking at which is the uh the air attack which kind of gives you a little longer range when you do jumping as well mm -hmm. so it's it's almost like a double jump but not really yeah were you able to get the feather that's in the blue room where you have to do this uh you might you might not have found it uh, it's kind I of secret find, i did find a feather uh, i don't know if it's that feather so at some point if you go back or you can watch uh somebody's probably done it in a video at some point on youtube um in that big blue room that you come to uh once you're in the monastery if you go down to the bottom there's a wall that you can break and then that opens up this new area where there are like these pillars and it's like over like a bottomless pit so you can't fall um but there are these pillars that you have to jump to but the joke is that you have to use this type of jump to, to reach them because they're like too far to reach with your normal jump and if you put the sword down, you can jump to them more easily, but you need the sword at the other end of this place to break another wall. So that kind of teaches people, because what most people do is they, they see the pillars and they're like, oh, that's pretty far. So they put the sword down, they jump across, and then they see that wall and they're like, wait, what? Like, how, <laughs> how am I supposed to get the sword over here? And then uh, I was watching a streamer play it the other night and she got to that part and she she was like oh my god i'm so nervous i'm gonna like fall like there's no way to get that and i was like there's a, i typed in i was like there's a way to jump further while you're still holding the sword and she was like oh how do i do that do i like dodge in the air and she couldn't figure it out it was the funniest thing um and i was trying to give her hints i was like you've been doing it like without even realizing it mm -hmm. and then she finally got it and then she went back to try it and uh yeah so it's really fun to watch people figure that out um I'll have to try that. Yeah, yeah. But so the aerial attack actually used to be different. It used to not give you a boost. And it was like he would do like a forward swing. It wasn't like this downward, you know, now it kind of resembles, you know, like Link's downward stab or or the Shovel Knight downward stab. Uh, but it used to be like this arc. He would like he would just do like a normal slash and you would just kind of keep going like horizontally. Um, and uh it just didn't really like fit like the you know it didn't really make sense because like with such a heavy sword like that's just not like f physically possible to do that so i wanted to change it so that like it it felt like it was like pulling you back down to the ground yeah it, again uh, as we can see here it it, it feels uh, it's really satisfying just landing these these hits um and also just sticking the, the sword into the ground is also very satisfying that you, you really nailed it with the animation of um just um both fighting and using the sword as key or uh, as a puzzle element yeah thank you yeah no i uh i appreciate it i yeah that was just a big thing was just trying to uh make these big exaggerated animations because that's something that that was definitely a mistake i used to make and it's still something that i see beginner animators and beginner pixel artists do is that i think the biggest issue with uh beginner animations is that the movements aren't exaggerated enough so you'll see somebody swing a sword and it'll just be like this little thing of like it's like hand goes up hand goes forward hand goes down and uh the way that I drew Ezra's attacks was I actually took this like toy sword that I had. I went out in my backyard and I filmed myself 
doing the the exact thing that he does and then i just drew and used that as my reference um and i tried to make it like as cartoony as exaggerated as it can because especially when you're working with 32 by 32 right like as that's the space ezra fits into you know so he's you know not working with a lot of pixels so you really have to sell like the animation something another funny thing about his attack animation is that he uh you know, he like throws his hand forward like he's got he's got his hand out and then he's got his other arm back and he like, you know, because he's getting the momentum. And I remember somebody was playing at PAX East and they were like, oh, he does a punch like before he attacks. That's cool. Like and they thought that that would like they thought that was like a second attack. They were like, oh, it's like you're getting like two hits. in." I was like, no, nah, you're totally making that up. But like, go for it. <laughs> it's like That's not what it is at all. <laughs> yeah, we can we can see that here in the artwork. Yeah, it's kind of similar. Yeah. And then. Coming, yeah, uh, he's he's like getting ready to swing it. Mm -hmm. uh, I, again, really like the uh, the way you captured the action moment here, because um, uh, he you can really feel he's coming at you. It's um, so you you did a great job with the um, autonomy here that you said you struggled with. Uh, I think it looks fantastic. Thank you, thank you. So uh, I want to dive into the. Um, uh, the Kickstarter a bit, because uh, you are kickstarting this game, mm -hmm. and um, so tell me more about this. You you touched on it previously. You started the LLC mm -hmm. uh, Studio Hybrid here uh, to make sure that the the Kickstarter was was a go. So tell me a bit more about the Kickstarter. Why are you doing a Kickstarter? Why now? Uh, and what are your your goals for the Kickstarter? So the biggest thing with this project has just been that, uh, you know, there's no funding for it yet, which is something that I've been trying to secure. Um, and as I, I, I mentioned this, I, I, I mentioned this on Reddit, actually, in a post from a little while ago. I forget if I've talked to you about it earlier or um, or, or where where else I may have mentioned it. But um, so I dropped out of school and I quit my job in late 2020 to do this and there were a lot of things that that went into that um basically i just felt like there was no future for me in school i was basically staring down the barrel of like two more years three more years uh at a college that i just really couldn't stand um i didn't like you know feel like i was on the right path and i was going for you know i was still going to try to do this i was still going to try to do game design but i was just trying to go get my degree so that i could do some sort of computer science related thing while i built this up um so it's actually an interesting story when i was doing my summer internship with mass digi one of the things that they do during the internship is they bring in other people from the industry to come see what you're work so i didn't even really tell you what the thing is about basically you spend a summer with other like college age kids making a, a, an app game so they put you in a group of like six people and you have to make an app game from may to august uh, so it was a blast. There's like four different groups. The group that I was in was phenomenal people, you know, friends for the rest of my life. Like it was awesome. Um, and we made like a card playing game, uh, an app game. Um, so it was cool. It was a, it was a great time. And, and we learned a lot. We learned a ton from it. Um, so one week towards the end of the program. So they started off by bringing in like other kids that have done the program in the past and then they would bring in people from local studios and as we got closer and closer to the finish they started bringing in like some some really reputable people 
one week they bring in three designers from Rockstar New England. And so these guys join our call and basically we just show them what we've been working on wow. and uh, and talk to them about what's going on. And they were there to give us advice. They had played the game earlier, so they were going to give us feedback about like what they thought we could uh, change or what we they thought we were doing right, whatever. So my role on the project was uh, so we were making the game in Unity and I'm like wicked Unity illiterate. Like I'm so bad at using Unity. Um, so I did not do any programming on this game. I was purely artwork and design and stuff like that. So I drew the cover art for the game and it's this picture. The game's called Pluto's Ascent. It's a card game where you're playing. All the planets are like characterized. So you play as Pluto, who's like this human boy who actually kind of looks a bit like Ezra, because I guess that's just <laughs> how I make characters. And so it's this picture of him, like, it's this, like, very vector art picture where it's all monochromatic, and it's, like, him holding, like, a moon or, like, a card. I forget exactly. I can send it to you. I forget exactly what the how, it's, how it looks. Um, but that was, like, another one of, like, the best things that I had drawn, like, up to that point. I was very proud of it, and I thought that, like, I was finally getting somewhere with my artwork. So I drew that. Everybody likes it. Whatever. These guys from Rockstar come in and they're talking about the game and this one guy who was one of the, you know, he was another art, I think he was an environmental artist on the team. He had literally worked on Grand Theft Auto V. And so he's like, who drew this? I'm like, that's me. He was like, this is one of the best things I've seen for a project like this in a really long time. Ooh. So not only was that a ginormous compliment, but that was like such a wake up call. I was like, you know, and, and maybe, you know, you, you could argue that maybe this is uh, what's the word like cocky is the only thing that I can think of. Like you could, you could argue that this is kind of a cocky thing for me to, to say. But I was like, if these guys from this position are giving me praise like that what am I still doing in school? Like, I feel like I could, I feel like if I wanted a studio position and these guys really think that my, that my artwork is, is good enough, I could at least go get a job somewhere. Like if, if not Rockstar, like Rockstar is top of the line. Like, so if, if not then, like I could at least probably go somewhere and find work. And so I was like, then why am I still trying to get this degree? If I could just go do this right now, What's the point? And, you know, and I was like I said before, I was miserable in school. I've never really felt like a good student. I just have trouble paying attention. And, it, it, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. So I was kind of looking for a way out of that anyway. Um, so I made this realization that I was like, OK, so if I don't need to be doing that, I'm ready to start. Right. So what do I want to do? What do I want out of this? And. I love working in teams like working on that game with that group was fantastic. It was a blast. Um, but, you know, I had already started Gigasword at the time and I'm just the type of person that like, you know, I want I have stories that I'm dying to tell and I have games that I really want to make. Um, and this was something that was already pretty far along. So I was like, you know, working in the studio is probably awesome. But it's not what I wanted to pursue right now, at least, you know, maybe in the future, who knows? Um, or maybe in the future, if this takes off, I'll have my own employees as well. And then it will be a team thing again. Uh, but I was like, you know, I have, you know, um, I'm living with my older brother right now and we take care of each other. I had some savings that I could live off of for a while. 
I, I, you know, I wasn't a very big fan of my job. The, the current job that I had been working was like food service. I was just tired of it, you know, whatever. That's what I've kind of been doing my whole life was just working in restaurants and uh, coffee shops and stuff. And it was just, you know, how it is. So uh, I was just ready to, you know, to I was kind of at a, at a crossroads in my life. And I was like, you know. I was honestly in a really bad spot emotionally. Like it was really tough, and and the pandemic didn't even have anything to do with it at that point. Like that made it worse. But um, there there were other factors like school and when work and other things that were just like it was really it was really bad for a while. And I was like, I, I need to do what I'm good at, and I need to do something that that is going to make me happy. And obviously, quitting your job and quitting school at the same time is not a safe bet like that's and and i don't you know people ask me sometimes when people ask me about it like i'll always start off by saying like don't do that because it's <laughs> it's like like it's working for me like it's i i haven't made any money yet that's why i'm doing the kickstarter so hopefully it will continue to work but like you know don't get me wrong just because i did that doesn't mean that i think it's a smart decision it's, it's totally not it's a much better idea to finish school and have that safety net and when work a job and and don't go indie un unless two things happen don't go indie until you can sustain yourself off of that or if you're really lucky like i am and you have a family who's willing to support you for the time being which is you know i'm extremely fortunate to have that um but you know i so you know i i, I was living off of savings the savings have obviously been depleting over time and i i, I was like you know i need something that's going to be able to quite literally kickstart my career so that I can continue to do this and, you know, I want to be able to take care of my family and, and you know, do all that as soon as I can. And Gigasword still has like a year or so left of development, so I can't wait until the game comes out to be making any income. So uh, I, I chased after publishers for a little bit. That had mixed results. Honestly, every publisher that I reached out to actually really liked the game. And I had some scenarios where people were really close to that. I was really close to making some deals. Um, I think it was just still too early at that time. You know, they thought that um, it just wasn't going to be big enough or they had other projects that they were working on that were too similar. That was another thing. I actually, uh, I read, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. There was one publisher that is very big, famous, that I reached out to and they actually probably would have taken me up on it, but they were like, Oh, we're working on something that's kind of similar. And so we can't, but like, they were like, keep making this cause it's great. So that was cool. So honestly, like there, there weren't any publishers that downright told me this is bad, which was good. Um, it was more just that like everybody that I reached out to, there was something that just didn't line up. So I kind of struck out on publishers and that was like July, August of last year. And I was very apprehensive about Kickstarter because so here's a funny story not to throw shade, but the first the first and only time that I had ever backed something on Kickstarter before this year was Mighty Number no. Nine. And I don't know if you know the story <laughs> with that game. I, I, that was I think, a yeah, yeah, train wreck, you know, and I, I want I believed in that project so much. I really wanted it to succeed. The game was subpar. The way that they handled the, the campaign was was worse you know um, it, it was supposed to be a fantastic kickstarter and a fantastic game and it yeah on on none of it <laughs> yeah you know and i i was uh i didn't order any physical rewards so i i you know got off pretty easy 
but I know that most of the people that did order physical rewards didn't get those things until like five years later and whatever. Um, and it was just a big mess. So my first impression of Kickstarter was that, that it was like this place for people to go get scammed. And I was like, I don't want to run a Kickstarter. Like, I don't want to be like that. But I got back into it and I started doing my research, you know, and especially because I started to realize that, that was probably going to be my only option with this. So I really started looking into Kickstarter. And, you know, then I realized, okay, that's not how it is. Like most of these people at this point who are running these campaigns have figured out a system that works and they're doing really well. And I think I can make it work as long as I play my cards right. And uh, I've backed a couple of games. I backed Sorcery uh, on Kickstarter a few months ago or one month. It's like I said, the days are blending together. They just ran their campaign recently. Uh, they're making a really cool roguelite uh, 3D action game. And there's a game called... I don't know if it's Silent Santa Cato or Silent Santa Cado. It's one of the, I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's this really, really awesome looking platformer that's like very monochromatic, like everything's done in like six colors. Um, so I backed both those games because uh, not only because they looked great, but because I also wanted to uh, re-familiarize myself with how it like with the process of being a backer, like what kinds of things those people expect, what kind of emails they get, what kind of updates they get before I launched. Um, so that all started in like the fall of last year, like October. I was I decided I was going to do it and I um, planned everything out. I made all my rewards. I knew that my first goal was to obviously finish the new version of the demo. So from September to December was all me doing game design. And from January till the launch date was all me doing like uh, the business stuff. Like I made the shirts, which came out awesome. I finished all the promotional artwork. I uh, wrote, obviously, I wrote the Kickstarter page. I put the game on Steam. I started the LLC. Uh, I have not stopped working since October. Like no rest, no nothing because nothing has ever mattered to me more than this right here. And to have, you mentioned the Discord community earlier, to have people that have gone out of their way to, to, to introduce themselves to me and to tell me, you know, how much they love this game and how much they believe in it, you know, people that, you know, you've never even met face to face before. It's like, and then you become best friends with them because they just, it, they, it connects with them. Uh, so it's been incredible, you know, like there are so many awesome people in the Discord. Um, I mentioned this to you earlier before we started the interview, but, uh, you know, I just got shout outs from Yacht Club. You know, it doesn't get any better than that for me. Like Shovel Knight is the main biggest inspiration for this game. Like that is incredible. I just spent the last few hours uh, or, or I should say a few hours ago from now. It was like two nights ago. I was just DMing one of their lead pixel artists. Like this guy is working on Mean of the Hollower, and I messaged him because I've been messaging everybody to try to just spread the word. I was like, "Hey, I don't know if you'll see this, but I'm making this game. You might have noticed it on Kickstarter because uh, I'm on there at the same time as you guys right now. And like, if you want to check out the demo, here it is." And I was like, "This guy's not going to respond. He doesn't care. Like he's he's too busy. Whatever." And he, you know, so not only did Yacht Club put me in their latest Kickstarter community post, giving Giga sort of shout out, but then he messaged me back and he was like, hey, I'm sorry I like missed this. Like, I'm sorry for the late reply. Uh, he was like, I just played your game. It's fantastic. Like, you're doing so well. That's just so cool. That's awesome. Like, that's the coolest thing in the world. 
Um, I spoke with Alexander from Mongoose Rodeo, the creator of Crow Sworn and Unworthy. He had some incredibly kind things to say about it. He he messaged me. He was like, yeah, like people DM me all the time. And uh, he was like, you know, I usually don't have the time to check out all the demos that are sent to me. But he was like, I I played through your whole game because that's how much I enjoyed it. He was like, I I, I wanted to to take the time to like finish it and he was like it's he was he was he was like you know whether or not the kickstarter is successful just please continue making this game because it's amazing um that's so having those in- yeah no i know and having those interactions helps a lot because um you know i'm, I'm doing everything that i can with the kickstarter but to hopefully it'll be successful and get funded um i think my shortcoming going into this was just that i didn't have a super big following before i launched um so the, there's been a bit of slowdown, you know, it's not at 50. We're going into the there's about 14 days left right now at the time of this recording. And uh, we're at like a little bit over 40 percent um, of the funding goal. Um, so I'm hoping for some sort of miracle that will boost it up and, and you know, hopefully it'll reach the, fin- the, 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 the goal before the end date. Um, but, you know, even if it doesn't, I'll figure it out because, you know, there's been there's been a lot of failure in this journey so far. I failed with that artwork, you know, the, with the kid telling me it wasn't good enough. I failed at, at with publishers. I really thought that somebody would take me up on it and just it didn't line up. I, you know, there's been a lot that's gone on that has not been ideal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, every step of the way, I, I took it as as a, as a you know, as a chance to improve. Um, and the biggest takeaway from Gigasword is that everybody, I, I said recently to one of my friends, I can probably count on one hand the amount of times that people have told me that they don't like the game or like that they, that they've like hated on it, whatever. Like it doesn't happen often, which is a blessing. Like it's so cool that, you know, most people that find the game fall in love with it, which is the most that I could possibly ask for, because now the struggle is just popularity. It's just as long as I can get this thing in front of a, a larger audience, then it'll it'll blow up, hopefully. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where I'm at is just reaching out to people, reaching out to streamers, YouTubers, trying to get it in front of a bigger audience. And uh, I mean, having the attention of Yacht Club and Mongoose Rodeo you know, is ginormous. It's huge praise. Even if I walk away without the Kickstarter being successful, at least I can walk away with, you know, having made friends in both of those places. Um, because not everybody can say that. And it's, I'm told, I'm very, very lucky that, uh, they took the time to reach back out to me and play the game. And, uh, it's just, uh, it's been incredible to be able to, to make connections like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I really, really hope that the Kickstarter is successful. I've, I've said it many times already. I want to play more. I want to see what you can do with this game. I am mm-hmm. very, very excited for for the future of this game. Uh, so yeah, I, thank you. I'm I'm very excited to to make to you know to have the other areas and the other cutscenes be fully realized. You know, the final boss music is done. Like I have everything's planned out. Like. You know, I and I've been picturing the end and the beginning of the game and all these different uh, conversations and moments 
for years, you know, making the, the, I don't know if you've seen, well, you would have seen it on the Kickstarter, but all those like intro artworks, like the tower. And then it shows like the crystal, like all those like cutscene pieces. Um, I had pictured those scenes in my head for so long. And then, so when I finally got the chance to actually draw them, it was so cool to have that like out of my brain and, and somewhere, you know, real. Um, so that's the you know same way that I feel about, you know, the rest of the game is like, I've been picturing him running around these areas, doing these puzzles and things for so many years now. And uh, I'm just, I can't wait for other people to get to play through those spots and to experience the story. Um, Cause it seems like everybody's really loving it so far. And I, I think if they love this, then they're definitely going to be happy with what's to come. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I think this is a, a, a good spot to um, wrap things up. Um, so, Jack, where can we find out more about Gigasword and about Studio Hybrid? So the best place to stay updated about the game itself would probably be to join the Discord server, um, which there are links to pretty much in all of my YouTube videos, on my Twitter account. Uh, of course, there is an official Studio Hybrid Gigasword website. Um, it's called uh, hybridgamesofficial.com. Um, but you can find links to everything. There are links to everything anywhere else. So uh, my YouTube channel is Hybrid Plays, which that's the channel where I talk about game design and also where I make the majority of my you know major updates about anything that's going on. Uh, Discord is a place for just kind of everyday updates where people can talk to me in a very kind of uh, relaxed setting and ask me questions and send me funny pictures and whatever. Um, and you know twitter i try to be active on so those are kind of the three main means of uh staying in touch and keeping updated um so yeah hybrid plays on youtube hybrid games on twitter uh and the discord server that's that's uh pretty much the best way to stay updated um the kickstarter is running until march 3rd uh at this time right now i think we're at 46 43 percent funded uh, there are still, for any uh, designers out there, these are top-tier rewards, so they're pretty pricey. But anybody that's willing to uh, spend some extra money and anybody that wants the chance or opportunity to design an enemy or design a boss for Gigasword, those options are still there in the Kickstarter. Uh, earlier, there was the option to create uh, rooms, secret rooms for the game. Uh, I think all of those are sold out at this point, which is which is great. Um, but yeah, tons of cool rewards in the Kickstarter, like T-shirts, uh, canvas prints, stickers, pins, um, and of course, like digital art books, the soundtrack, everything. So yeah, the Kickstarter is running till March 3rd, and anybody that is interested that wants to support, uh, it would be super appreciated, and I will be forever thankful. So the response has already been amazing, and I'm just hoping that we can make it to the finish line. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Check out the Kickstarter. Um, as Jack said, definitely join the Discord if you're interested in the game and interested in talking to other awesome people, including Jack, uh, talking about the uh, the game itself, talking about game design in general, and getting some updates on the fantastic game Gigasword. Uh, this has been a wonderful, wonderful uh, time. Thank you so much, Jack, for, for spending the time with me today. Um, yeah, thank you so much for reaching out. This has been a blast. <laughs> this is another thing that's like it's always been my dream to do like interviews. So like this is just so cool. Um, yeah, I'm super glad that I got to meet you at Boston Fig, and uh, I wish the absolute best for Hit Save 
it seems like an awesome organization with an awesome mission. I think you guys are doing great. And uh, as soon as this interview goes live, I'm going to send it out absolutely everywhere and show people how cool it is. And uh, I can't wait. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Jack. And thank you, everyone, for listening or watching. Uh, have a fantastic rest of your week and uh, see you at the uh, the next interview. Yes. Awesome. See you guys. And thank you all for watching. Thank you.